A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello, this is Prospects Podcast and I'm Tom Clark, the editor. This is a podcast about ideas. If it's interesting, we'll cover it. And for today's main event, we speak to a writer, Cal Flynn, about Britain's other languages. Are they worth saving? Cal certainly thinks so. She's learning Gaelic. But why? I came to England to go to university. I went, I went to London. And, you know, that's fine. But over time, I realised that what makes you notable as an individual is, is often your identity, where you grew up. That forms who you are as a person. Right, let's talk Gaelic. Stephanie Boland, over to you. I'm Steph Boland, Prospect web editor and resident Irish learner, and I'm joined this week by Cal Flynn, a journalist and author who is learning Scots Gaelic. Cal's written a piece about language learning for Prospect magazine and she's joined me today to talk about the place of Gaelic in Scotland and why we should all be learning a dying language. Hello, Achal. Hello. Kimu Hashif. Hagama Tapilet. Kimu Hahuhain. Hagama Tapilet. That's probably the limit of my Gaelic. I'm sure <laughs> yeah, absolutely. More. I don't really want to get tested any better because <laughs> my terrible accent. I'm sorry for that. Um, you've written this fantastic piece in the magazine about learning. Gaelic, which maybe you could just introduce our listeners if they have no idea of what this this language is, or they go Gaelic, isn't that what they speak in Ireland? <laughs> or <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so I wanted to write about um, my stop-start attempts to learn Scottish Gaelic, um, which is quite similar to Irish Gaelic, um, maybe about equivalent to maybe Spanish and Portuguese, that sort of level. Um, they are semi-intelligible to each other. Um, and it's a language that has been in my family over generations until my grandfather. And then at that time, it wasn't passed down, my family, um, which is a very common story throughout the Scottish Highlands and all over Scotland. Um, it's a language that was very much clamped down on over the last few centuries and now has been in steady decline almost since the beginning of the 20th century. Um, and when I was younger... I suppose I didn't see how it was relevant at all to my life. I grew up speaking English. I went to an English-speaking school. There were Gaelic speakers in the community, but I never heard them speak Gaelic. And uh, I, did, I, I, I suppose I didn't really see the value of learning a language that almost everyone who speaks it speaks English as well. I, I think, you know, 99.9% .9 of people. Um, and it was only as an adult, thinking more about my heritage, thinking more about what it means for a minority group to have sort of been absorbed into a larger group, that I decided that maybe Gaelic was invaluable and I should try and do what I can to keep it alive. <laughs> I wonder if we should quickly run through the numbers because you say that there's no monolingual speakers of this language left, is that right? 
Yes, that's right. Um, there's there's sort of very tiny outliers. For example, um, some people who suffer from dementia regress so that this is the only language they can remember Gaelic. But that's very rare. Almost entirely um, the Gaelic population speaks English as well. They're scattered across Scotland, um, but mainly in the Outer Hebrides and in Skye. Um, and in, for example, the US and Lewis and Harris, they're probably the places, the only places in Scotland where you will hear it as standard on the street if you're just passing through. So yeah, there are um, Gaelic populations also in Edinburgh and in Glasgow, where there are some Gaelic medium schools. And there's a lot of hope at the moment um, with this Gaelic medium schooling situation that actually there's a lot of new energy, new life coming in through the younger generation, which actually you see in other traditional languages around the world. For example, in Maori, um, someone got in touch with me after the piece went online to say it's a very similar story with the Maori language. And you know, children are now teaching their parents. And so my nephew and niece go to Gaelic medium school and preschool. And show you up, I appreciate Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, it's just so much more fluent and, and they're really fast at picking it up because they use it every day. And also, you know, the, your your brain's very plastic at that age. And so you, you pick it up very quickly. So yeah, my, my nephew sings and counts and, and speaks all day in Gaelic in, in school. He's now in, in primary two. Um, my niece is in preschool and is picking it all up as well. And, you know, it's slightly panicky for my brother and, and his wife because, you know, now they come home with, with homework and they don't speak <laughs> Gaelic, you know. But there's there are services out there, you know, if you need help, you can get in touch with people over Instant Messenger. And also, you know, this is such a common story now with Gaelic medium schooling that um, teachers are very understanding. Um, so, you know, it's exciting. Sounds quite risky as a parent to have your, la- your children speaking a language that you can't speak. <laughs> what might they get up to? In this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, they've, got, they've actually got a secret language. They don't have to be, you know, twins dreaming up themselves. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I think it's kind of beautiful. And, and, and bilingual pupils of all stripes perform better in school. And that's the same for the Gaelic speaking population. Um, so they've got better exam results as a population than the you know monoglot English speaking population, partly because of the profile of of parents who decide to go in for Gaelic medium education, but also partly because bilingualism is a very like important tool in expanding our brains, in changing the way that we think about language and that we think about everything. I wanted to ask you a little bit about the politics of the language because I'm an Irish learner and there's there's big differences between the politics of of Irish mm. and of and of Scots Gaelic, <coughs> but the idea of the the inverted pyramid where you have more younger speakers and there's very concerted revival efforts is, is quite similar. Mm. Um, you, you write about road signs really beautifully in your essays, this, this kind of point of ambiguity and ambivalence and, and contention. Really. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it is one of the sort of strangest things in, in Scottish debate at the moment is this this case of road signs. Um, it, it flares up time and time again they're always talking about it on social media you know there's been another piece in the popular press that says you know we're spending millions of pounds on these ridiculous dangerous bilingual road signs and it, it it's very strange you know because there are bilingual road signs all over the world you know if you live in europe quite as, as standard there'll be french german italian you know if you live in, in in switzerland and people are not driving into each other while they try and figure out how to read um, and so to me, it became a symbol of this strange ambivalence in Scotland towards the language. You know, there's a lot of infighting is maybe putting it strongly, but a lot of debate over, you know, what the geographical spread of Gaelic was and at what time. 
some people in further south feel that this Gallic heritage is being imposed on them and there's not necessarily solid proof that it was spoken exactly where they were and therefore why should they have these signs foisted on them. Um, it, it's interesting because it, it shows up this unease I think in in Scottish national identity it's because Gaelic is very regional it's it's sort of highlands and islands it's west coast um and already we're a, a minority within the UK um I think it just shows that there is this unsettled aspect of you know what it means to be Scottish especially while these questions of the independence referendum are still hanging around and there's still a lot of nationalist sentiment in Scotland growing I think and and rightly so in my opinion so we'll see what happens <laughs> you have that brilliant way as well of speaking about that politics and how you live it as an individual you you told us a moment ago about growing up and not feeling the need to learn this language mm. but you you quote John Muir I think in this in this essay and go in a way you had to go out to to come back home with it yeah absolutely I think this is maybe the same for a lot of people who grew up in in small countries but also just people who grew up in small communities so whether that be small towns you know you grow up and as a teenager you're just desperate to escape de desperate for something exciting and big to happen to you and uh, it's a not a universal experience but a very common one um, and so I was desperate I think to to go somewhere else to be not just Scottish, not just Highland, I wanted to be a proper person on, on a main stage. And so I, I came to England to go to university. I went, I went to London. And, you know, that's fine. But over time, I realized that what makes you notable as an individual is, is often your identity, where you grew up. That forms who you are as a person. And, and over... I guess a, a decade since since I left university, it's it's been I moved away and then now I'm very much coming back. I'm I'm much more interested in who I was to begin with and how I've changed since then and why is it that I'm feeling pulled back to the Highlands where I'm from. It's so hard to learn a language and I knew that already because I've I've tried. Yeah, stop and start is the best way to describe it. Lots of different languages. I learned French in school, um, and that is probably the furthest I've ever gotten with language. I've, I lived in India for a while and learned Telugu while I lived there and a little bit of Hindi. Um, again, you know, if you don't use it every day, um, it just doesn't stick. It's like practicing an instrument. You, you, you need to have that almost like a muscle memory. Um, and so I love learning languages as an intellectual activity, I love learning grammar. I love doing all of this kind of thing. But the, the practical side of putting a language into action and being able just to produce it, that comes from time. It comes from practice. And um, so, you know, if you want to learn French seriously, maybe you should move to France, you know. And, and even then it will take you a couple of years, much longer if you really want to sound and feel fluent. If you are trying to learn a minority language that very few people speak, that's very difficult because it's not going to naturally happen when you live in a community. You know, if you move to, to the US and you want to learn Gaelic, you can go to classes, but most people will still speak to you in English just because it's easier. You know, um, you speak it, they speak it. And so um, you have to immerse yourself. In fact, I spoke to someone on Twitter, again, who got in touch after the article, who said, you know, he'd spent five plus years learning Gaelic and suddenly he did feel like it clicked into place after about four and he watched Gaelic TV and he read Gaelic books you know you start with children's books and work up um, and even so not using it on a daily basis 
it began to slip away and that's a huge amount of time and effort that you've sunk into this project I was going to say I, I met another Irish or somebody who had done Irish at school mm-hmm. so he'd, he'd kind of grown up in Ireland where the language is um, compulsory to get your leaving certificate and everyone was going speak Irish to each other and we, we went uh, it's Malion Banya and they were going what are you, what are you saying and it's, it's I like milk yeah. <laughs> and they're, kind of, they're learning the stock phrases as a, as a grown up feels quite weird right <laughs> yeah absolutely you know that learning things like grammar especially I mean how do you put those into practice because um, you you have one sentence and you look at all the different permutations of that sentence you know you, you negate it you put it in the past tense all of this which is really useful um, but at the same time you leave class and be like I have nothing to talk about but anyway you know I, I don't I, I can't hold normal conversations because I, I have these few stock phrases I can say I have two brothers or, um, you know I, I have brown hair or you know these kind of things which you learn but nobody actually says in real life and then you have you know I am going to work I went to work yesterday you know these kind of things which it takes a long time to build up the understanding so a you can produce them on demand and b you're having simple enough conversations with people you know like moving into moving from direct question answer to a proper interactive conversation is is really difficult and people can speak languages practice languages for years before they really feel comfortable and and then the next stage is sort of moving into abstract discussions and you've got to be really fluent to be able to do that and I think a lot of people fall at early hurdles and I've been really battling to get beyond you know some of the earliest hurdles and, and and force myself onwards with this and I think maybe reading and writing well reading um is is more realistic for me um, just because I've always been very into reading and writing and all of this kind of thing. So I understand things better when I see them written down. Everyone's different. Some people love to listen and to speak. Um, so it depends on how your brain works. And, and also I feel like if I'm not sort of speaking it every day, it's much more of an academic use of the language. I'd, I'd be interested in, in trying to get better so I can read books in Gaelic. I think that's the most likely option for me. Just to finish off, I wanted to bring up the the idea of the future of the language, because you, you spoke about um, Irish and Scots Gaelic being sort of mutually intangible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think we, we should say there's there's a range of Celtic languages Absolutely. around these isles. Right. Yeah. I well, don't know if you <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, um, so Welsh is actually really a success story in language revitalization. I was in um, Lapland in the north of Scandinavia and a lot of the Sami languages that they speak up there. Um, look to Wales as a model for how they want to bring their languages back into use. You know, it's it's really taken off in Wales. Um, and there are sort of historic languages that still exist in some form and, and in small communities. So there's Manx, there's Cornish, um, in which some people do speak it. But again, you have that trouble of of keeping it in everyday use when there are so few people. So it might be spoken in some households. Um, but perhaps not on a daily basis unless they work for cultural um, bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so and I, I think many of them have a have a similar story, either having been um, what's the word, sort of reduced purposefully by outside forces, or just the the ingress of outside um, cultural forces come in. So, uh, in fact, I've been writing recently about how the internet has been. A, a big factor in the dying out of languages simply because so much of the internet is written in only 
10 languages you know you've got english as the most and then chinese and you know these giant linguistic giants um take over the internet and that's how a lot of people learn about stuff you know that's what their where their information comes from and then that means the smaller languages become more and more languages of uh, domestic languages or or local languages and people don't necessarily use them professionally and i think the professionalization of gaelic has been a big um a big good uh that has happened recently because it's now seen as a way that you can make money you can monetize the language skills that you've grown up with and and more and more people go to you know university to get degrees in in gaelic and i think that's a, a similar picture um in wales and in ireland you know this this sense of finding value monetary value often uh in these languages can really help them you were talking about a friend who went to bbc alba and it's and we should we should say there's there's Scots Gaelic language television you can watch it on iPlayer oh, but yeah. your, your friend's now making a killing right <laughs> <laughs> well yeah I mean um he he no longer works in in the media at all actually but um he it, it was very frustrating because I I came to London and, and worked for years you know getting people coffee um and photocopying and all of this struggling struggling to try and get anyone to let me do some writing um and then every time I went home, you know, I'd I'd hear about this friend that I'd gone to school with who had done a degree, I think, in, in Gaelic language or, or Gaelic-related media, and then gone straight to work for the BBC, you know, was speaking on television, doing travel programs, doing quizzes, all sorts of stuff. And, um, you know, it just he's a really winning character, so absolutely deserved it, a great TV presence. But... Um, I suddenly was like, actually, you know, this is this is such a skill. And there are a lot of people who are getting started off in, you know, these sort of smaller um, language channels. So, for example, S4C in Wales and all sorts of things, you know, it gives opportunities for people to start off. And then you get these uh, transferable skills that maybe if you if you want to stay in the media, you can go to London and work for the mainstream BBC if you want. You know, it, it depends. Or, or you might decide that actually you prefer where you are because it turns out you can have a media career and not be in London. So um, I think it helps, you know, look beyond this very small area where a lot of, of media people live. <laughs> what a lovely note to end on. I was I was about to say Sloan, but I'm sure it's not Sloan or Slongerfall. How do you say goodbye in Scots Gaelic? Well, I was just going to say cheery. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Thank you very much, Kat. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks to everyone for listening. The producer was Jay Elwes. Many thanks also to Cal Flynn for coming in and speaking to us. And her article that Steph mentioned back there can be found in this month's issue of the magazine and also on our brilliant and absorbing website at www.prospectmagazine.co.uk. And you might also note that our subscription rates are very reasonable. Please be sure to visit us again soon. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.